Welcome back to another episode of the Switch Lake City podcast. Today, we're going to be talking a little bit about FIBA, Team USA, Laurie Markkinen in Finland, Jordan Clarkson in the Philippines, Kelly Olynyk in Canada, and also I kind of like Canada's roster, Simone Fontecchio in Italy. Coming right up after this message from the sponsor. This episode of the Switch Lake City podcast is brought to you by Underdog Fantasy. I want to tell you about the easiest way to get in on some action on the NBA. It's Underdog Fantasy and their Pick'em game. Just pick higher or lower on your favorite or least favorite player stats and you can win up to 20 times your money in a single night. Underdog keeps it super simple with their easy-to-use website and mobile apps. Pick between two and five players to fill out your pick entry, get every pick right, and take home some solid hard cash. Use the code SWISH, S-W-I-S-H, and get your first deposit doubled up to $100 by Underdog. That means if you pay $100, then they will match that $100 deposit, and you'll have $200 to put on fantasy games. Visit underdogfantasy.com or find them in the App Store, and don't forget to register with my promo code SWISH to get your fantasy to get your first deposit doubled up to $100. Sign up today with promo code SWISH and get your first deposit doubled up to $100. You must be 18 plus and present in a state where underdog fantasy operates. In terms of apply, concerned with your play, call 1-800-522-4700 or visit www.ncpgambling.org. All right, guys. It's great to be back. Um, for those that don't know, I, I was actually on my honeymoon this last week. So while I did have an episode of the podcast come out last week, it was recorded from a couple weeks ago. Um, good to be back. The wedding was great. Got married to my dream girl. Can't complain too much. Um, honeymoon, we went to Hawaii, went to Kauai. It was great. Went to lots of different beaches. Swam with sea turtles, a little bit of body surfing, a little bit of snorkeling. Honestly, just a great time. Had had an, a horrible experience with the car rental, but I guess that's just kind of the life if you're under 25. So wasn't wasn't the greatest start to the honeymoon with the car rental. Just had a really bad experience, but then it was all uphill after that. Um, it's good to be back. Not a lot of Utah Jazz stuff has happened, but hey, we have basketball going on now. Um, FIBA teams, teams that are in the FIBA World Cup and other teams that are just playing friendly matches are starting to play basketball. We've had a couple of guys on the Utah Jazz play in, in some games. Larry Markinen has played in a couple of games. Team USA played their first exhibition game versus Puerto Rico the other night. Um, Jordan Clarkson in the Philippines haven't played yet, but they're going to start playing soon. Simone Fontecchio in Italy, Omar Yurtsevin in Turkey. It's fun. It's fun. I'm I'm trying to do the exercise of like, which NBA team has the most players playing in the FIBA World Cup. And I think the Utah Jazz are pretty high up there with like four or five guys playing in the World Cup. Super fun. It's an exciting time. Um, for those that haven't watched the World Cup before, and for those that are planning on watching the World Cup this year, got to be honest, it's a little bit of a difficult watch just because of the time difference. Um, you got games going on at like 2 a.m., 3 a.m., two to like 7 a.m. So if you're wanting to watch like Team USA, you're having to wake up at 7 a.m. Mountain Standard Time. And that's just not the easiest time to watch. Um, but I think it's going to be great. I'm, I'm really excited for just to watch basketball, to have basketball, be able to turn on your phone, get on Twitter, and watch some of these games. Um, just by way of announcement, I've partnered with Courtside1891 to get jazz fans access to some of these FIBA world for FIBA world cup games as they start. Um, you'll be able to hop onto their world cup subscription. It's just like, it'll last for a couple months just while the world cup is going on. And then you can cancel that subscription after the world cup ends. It's, it's really exciting though. It's honestly like the team that the USA has put together. Some of the other teams, you have so many NBA players playing, I think that's what's really fun about the game and the way that it's evolved, the way it's become more global is you just have more NBA players playing and you got NBA players playing on some of these teams that you wouldn't usually expect. Like, I mean, Slovenia obviously has Luka Doncic, which is incredibly fun. You got teams like Montenegro with Nikola Vucevic. You're watching an NBA player in pretty much every single game. And I think that creates just for 
a really fun experience as a fan of the NBA. Um, being able to watch some of these guys in different settings where some of the rules might favor more favor players. Like I think of Rudy Gobert. This is this is where Rudy Gobert really thrives. And he's a three-time defensive player of the year in the NBA. But he is just a completely different monster in FIBA basketball in the World Cup playing with the French international team. He's playing with guys that he's played with for a long time now and like Evan Fournier, Nicolas Batum, some of the other Team France guys. Um, and I'm expecting him to have a pretty good World Cup. He played great in Eurobasket last year. Then you got guys, you got, you just have, there's so many guys playing. And I think that's what really makes it fun. That's what makes it a fun experience. So I kind of want to talk about a couple different things today. I want to jump into Team USA, talk about some of those rotations, some of what I'm seeing, uh, as well as talking a little bit about Walker Kessler and why he might not be getting the minutes that he's getting. Basically, this whole podcast is going to be a preview for the FIBA World Cup. Um, previewing some of the teams, specifically the teams that Utah Jazz players are playing on, um, getting into some NBA players, talking about what we can expect from them in FIBA, talking about some Utah Jazz players. We're going to hit on Finland, the Philippines, Canada, Italy, and risk, re, and talking about their respective Utah Jazz players. But first, we're going to start with Team USA. So we saw the first exhibition match versus Puerto Rico. Uh, first half was pretty close. Second half was not close at all. So some takeaways. First of all, I think it's important to just note this is the first full game that these guys have played together. And before this game, they had two days of full practices where they were scrimmaging team select. Uh, guys like Cade Cunningham, Jalen Green, Jalen Duran were on team select, Peyton Pritchard, Chet Holmgren. Um, so this team... This team USA that we're going to see in the World Cup hasn't had a ton of experience playing together. Looking at the roster and looking at some of the rotations. So the starters, you had Jalen Brunson at the one, Anthony Edwards at the two, and then Ingram and Bridges kind of in that three, four spot and Jaron Jack, Jackson Jr. holding down the five spot. Uh, then off the bench, you had Halliburton, Austin Reeves, Cam Johnson, Paulo Banquero, Bobby Portis, and then Josh Hart and Walker Kessler were pretty much the two guys out, or the the Ottoman out. Uh, Josh Hart was dealing with some injury and sickness, and Walker Kessler, we'll get into Walker Kessler and why he might not have been playing. Um, so just like looking at those first lineups, some, some takeaways. Everything I've heard about Team USA, about listening to podcasts, reading about Team USA, um, listening to other people's reporting and coverage, it sounds like Jalen Brunson is kind of the leader. And I think that's probably a good decision. I think he absolutely has the pedigree. When you kind of look at this team, look at some of the other guys, like I don't know if Anthony Edwards being what a 22-year-old guy is necessarily ready to lead some of these all-stars and lead some of these other guys. I don't know if Brandon Ingram is there. You know, I don't know if Mikael Bridges is there. I think Jalen Brunson is that kind of guy. Uh, he's probably he's made it very clear that he's kind of the leader of this team um and that's kind of that's been a little bit controversial just because as a player i think a lot of people prefer tyrese halliburton over jalen brunson and i think people would prefer to watch tyrese halliburton be the starting point guard have him run the point uh personally i like the idea of tyrese halliburton anthony edwards Mikael bridges brandon ingram and jaron jaron jackson jr is sexier than Jalen Brunson leading that unit. Like, I just think Tyrese Halliburton maybe is able to access some of the strengths of those players better than Jalen Brunson does because Tyrese Halliburton is a more pass first. He's the guy that can break down the defense while enhancing some of those scorers because Bridges, Ingram, Edwards, those three guys are scorers. They're wired to score first and foremost. And I think Jalen Brunson is more wired to score than he is to pass, playmate, create for others. However, there is something to be said about being an on-court leader that you want in your first unit. And I think if you're the leader of the team, you're going to want that in your first unit. So it makes sense. It's not that big of a deal. Um, Tyrese Halliburton was still able to feast off the bench. I think he ended with 12 assists. Uh, just really fun to watch. That second unit is fun. Uh, bringing in Tyrese Halliburton and Austin Reeves at the guard spots. Then Cam Johnson, who Cam Johnson's a good player, guys. Like, I know he's not maybe an all-star. He's not on the level as some of these other players, but he's a good player. 
really good shooter, good defender. I think he's a pretty solid player to have on this team USA. Then you got Paulo Bancara and Bobby Portis. Um, so just an interesting note, Paulo Bancara and Bobby Portis were both playing the five at different times. Steve Kerr talked a little bit about Paulo Bancaro playing the, at the five. I'll read what he said about it. He said he's going to play some five. One of the things we really found in 2021 in the Tokyo Olympics was having a five who can push the ball and transition and create plays is very difficult for FIBA teams to handle. So he can play some four as he showed, but he'll play plenty of five as well. So in the 2019 Olympics, when Team USA played, they had that pretty good squad with Kevin Durant, Booker, Draymond Green, Bam Adebayo. So you had Draymond Green and Bam Adebayo playing the five. Um, I believe Bam was a starter and then Draymond was coming off the bench. So you think about playmaking bigs, like outside of Nikola Jokic, those are probably two of the best playmaking bigs. And Team USA really found something by playing those two and having them kind of run um, some units and just be being the first guy that is able to get a rebound and just go. I think this kind of plays into maybe why Walker Kessler isn't getting minutes. Um, but it was interesting because watching the minutes that Walker Kessler was playing last night, Jalen Brunson was getting a lot of those rebounds and then Jalen Brunson was getting out and he was going. And I think that's the same with Tyrese Halliburton. Whoever gets the ball on this Team USA squad is going to be the one that's initiating the fast break. And I don't know if they want Walker Kessler in that position. I don't know if Walker Kessler stylistically is the best fit for what this team is trying to accomplish. I want to talk a little bit about this team's identity because I think it's fun. Uh, one of the fun things about watching a new team, watching a new group of guys get together and watching any Team USA team is that each team sort of has a different identity. Watching the first game, I think we were able to learn a lot about their identity. Uh, they want to play fast and they want to run in transition. And it's really, really fun to watch. Uh, Tyrese Halliburton, like I said, he is just a master in transition. And then you have so much length between Bridges, Ingram, Edwards, Jaron Jackson Jr., Paula Boncaro. You just have a lot of length that is able to get out, that is able to run, that is able to get into passing lanes on defense and start some of these transition opportunities. It's a lot of fun to watch. Uh, and this is how they want to play. It's obvious that they want to go fast. They want to get into their sets quickly as well. Um, they also want to play five out and you look at the roster. So let me just read it off one more time. Jalen Brunson, Mikhail Bridges, Brandon Ingram, Anthony Edwards, Jaron Jackson, Jr. Tyrese Halliburton, Austin Reeves, Cam Johnson, Paula Boncaro, Bobby Portis, Josh Hart, and Walker Kessler. 11 of those 12 guys can shoot from the outside. Walker Kessler is kind of the odd man out here. So by wanting to play five out, it creates a difficult situation for Walker Kessler that I believe is ultimately leading to him not playing a ton. And he probably won't play a ton um, just because he's not able to stretch the floor. It's also interesting watching like all the team USA warm up videos, warming up before games. Walker Kessler is out there. He's on the three point line. He's shooting threes. He's draining them. Uh, I, I believe that's a point of emphasis for him being on this team USA team. Uh, is to eventually be kind of like a stretch big. I think that's what they would Team USA would like his long-term trajectory to be so that they he can play in some of these five-out lineups. Um, but right now they're playing Paulo Boncaro, they're playing Bobby Portis at the five. And by doing so, you're spacing the floor. I think I think the idea is more on offense than it is on defense. On defense, here's kind of the team's identity, and here's what my read was on it you want to have length on the perimeter. And that's pretty obvious, I think, just by looking at the personnel in this roster. Mikael Bridges, Brandon Ingram, Anthony Edwards, Cam Johnson, Paulo Boncaro, that's a lot of length on the perimeter. Those are guys that are able to jump into passing lanes. Those are guys with really long wingspans, long arms. It's going to make it difficult for teams to be able to pass against that kind of a squad um, and just to score on that kind of a squad because there's so much length in the perimeter. On the inside, however, that kind of leaves you empty. Uh, I mean, Jaron Jaren Jackson Jr., I don't think that leaves you empty at, at all because he is a defensive player of the year, incredible rim protector. He's really good. And I kind of wonder if he should play the five in the NBA. Like, I don't know if him and Steven Adams is the best pairing. I wonder if Memphis could get more out of their squad with him playing at the five. So when you go to your bench lineup, you're putting Paulo Boncaro or Bobby Portis at the five. It looks like it's going to be more Paulo Boncaro than Bobby Portis. 
And then all of a sudden you're like, you're kind of small and you got a guy that's six, nine, six, 10 playing at the five spot who isn't necessarily known for his defense, not necessarily known for his room protection. Um, that's an interesting situation. And maybe that's just one of the disadvantages you have to give up in order to have an advantage on offense. That's kind of where I think the thought process is. Uh, Paulo actually played pretty good at the five. Like I was really impressed. He had some really good blocks. Just his length, his size, it's able to create havoc. But that was havoc against a Puerto Rico team that's small. Uh, They don't have some of the size you'll see from teams like Canada, for example, or France, or some of these other teams that are just a lot bigger. I think Spain is one of those teams, and I'm excited to see the exhibition game against Spain. But you're just you're losing something on the interior, uh, especially defensively by playing Boncaro at the five. I think there's an argument that Team USA should play Walker Kessler more. So I think the argument for it is kind of based in the FIBA rules as well as based in a previous Jazzman's play in FIBA, and I mentioned it in the beginning, in the opening, Rudy Gobert is incredible in FIBA, and he creates so many problems for opposing teams on both sides of the floor. Uh, as much crap as Rudy Gobert gets for his offensive incapabilities, some of the things he's not able to do, he is a very productive offensive player in FIBA basketball. And what makes him special is some of the offensive rebounding as well as being a lob threat. Because in FIBA, there are different rules, specifically on the offensive rebounding. I mean, I think everybody points to this when you talk about different rules in FIBA. This is like the first one people will point to. Um, You're going to look at, okay, in FIBA, the ball has to hit the rim once, and then you can essentially grab it off of the rim. So having a guy that's seven foot, seven one, to be able to be on the rim, whether it's on offense or defense, creates a lot of advantages for your team. I think that's why you have to look at Walker Kessler, who was, by all metrics, one of the best offensive rebounders in the NBA last year and proved that he can be a really good offensive rebounder in basically any setting. I wonder if there's an argument for him to play more um, to just give you that offensive rebounding advantage. I realize it probably takes away a little bit from what you want to accomplish as a team, from what Steve Kerr and that coaching staff wants to accomplish as a team. I think they're trying to accomplish a five. They're trying to be five out. They're trying to go fast. Uh, Walker Kessler, while I do think he's a great rimmer, rim runner, he's not the best in transition. You know, he's not the guy that can initiate the break. And so if he's getting the rebound, you have to get like a second, a second and a half for him to pass the ball to somebody else. And by that time, you might have lost the advantage in transition. Whereas by having somebody like Paula Boncaro, you can immediately just go. And I think that creates a different set of um, advantages for Team USA. The rim protection is interesting because in FIBA, you're allowed to play zone. Um, and you're allowed to play zone where you where the center doesn't have to um, remove himself from the key every three seconds. And because of that, you're able to just have like a more traditional zone. Like think of the zone you play playing pickup ball. Uh, you got your center down low and he's able to just kind of hang out down there. And nobody's ever calling defensive three in the key in pickup basketball. If you are, shame on you. That's absolutely horrible to do. But nobody's ever talking about defensive three in the key in pickup basketball. So it's kind of the same thing in FIBA. You know, uh, Walker Kessler could just hang in the paint as one of the best rim protectors already in the NBA and probably in the world. Um, I wonder if he has a lot of value as a rim protector in FIBA basketball. I think Walker Kessler, um, probably what we're going to see from him. And look, it's not a bad thing that he isn't number two, that he isn't the guy playing behind Jaron Jackson Jr. I don't think that's a slight on him at all. Uh, looking at this team, he's probably your 12th best player out of 12 guys, maybe your 11th. I don't know how you feel about Josh Hart. Josh Hart just had an incredible playoff series uh, playing with the Knicks. But Walker Kessler, I mean, like, that's not a slight on him to say that he's the 12th best player behind some all-stars, behind the rookie of the year from this last year, 
He's, I think, the second youngest player on the squad um, behind Paulo Boncaro. Like, that's it's not a slight on him at all to say that he's the 12th best player. And so I don't think it's crazy to say, like, okay, Walker Kessler's probably not going to get a ton of minutes. What he does add is depth. And Jaron Jackson Jr. has a history of fouling. We saw him get in foul trouble last night against Puerto Rico. What's to say he doesn't get in foul trouble going against some of these physical teams? Uh, I know FIBA is officiated a little bit differently. They're allowed to be a little bit more physical. But if he does get into foul trouble against Spain or in some of the group matches, who are you going to go to for that room protection, assuming you're playing against a guy that has a team that has a seven-foot guy, a team that is able to punish you? I think you go to Walker Kessler to kind of fill that role for Jaron Jackson Jr., so I think him playing is going to be situational. Uh, there will be situations where you're going to want his rim protection. You're going to want his offensive and defensive rebounding. There's also going to be situations where you're going to want to play small. You're going to want, to, you're going to, want to play five out. And I think that's those are some of the advantages and disadvantages that Team USA is going to be weighing right now. Uh, lots of fun. We got some more friendly matches coming up. I believe they play Spain. I believe they play Slovenia as well. Luka Doncic. Juancho Hernan Gomez, former Jazz man. we got some fun stuff coming up for Team USA. Stay tuned for those games. Um, the good thing about this part of the FIBA schedule and some like the friendly matches, especially with Team USA, is you're watching these at a reasonable hour. We're not having to watch these games at 3 or 4 a.m. Um, so enjoy it while you can. Coming up, we're going to talk about Larry Markkinen in Finland and as well as Jordan Clarkson in the Philippines. Hey, Jazz fans, guess what? Laurie Markkinen is playing basketball. You didn't think he'd be saying that on August 9th when this episode airs. But he's playing basketball. A lot of fun. Uh, lots and lots of fun. So I watched a little bit of Finland's first game. Um, fun to watch. Really fun to watch. I watched through Courtside 1891. And there's some things I like about Finland. I think Finland by all accounts, has put together their best basketball team probably ever. And a big part of that is Laurie Markkinen. But they also got some other guys on that team like I like. I know I've mentioned Mikhail Yantanen, who played for the Running Utes, my Running Utes. Super stoked to see him. He had a game winner in their first game versus Lithuania. That was fun to watch. Uh, Finland's team is actually a lot of fun to watch. They play with a lot of movement, a lot of movement on the perimeter. Um... It's fun because I think you're able to see some translatable things from Laurie Markkinen. So Laurie Markkinen playing with this Finland team, he's not usually initiating things. Uh, you're He's usually playing the four or the five. Um, sometimes you'll get him initiating things in the fast break. And when he does that, he's usually looking to score. Like I haven't been overly impressed with Laurie Markkinen's transition passing, and I think that's fine. He kind of has more of a Giannis thing where he's just head down. He's going to the basket. He's going to score on you. You can't stop his length. You can't stop his size. So that's that's kind of the situation where he's initiating things. They have some fun guard play. Um, some guys that are able to get Larry Markkinen in, in different spots. And he's what I like about their team is they get everybody involved on pretty much every possession. It's a lot of passing around the perimeter, passing inside, just trying to see where the defense has a weak spot. I like that. I think it's a lot of fun to watch. So Laurie Markkinen, he's getting lots and lots of touches. Um, it's hard to make some judgments off of Laurie Markkinen from one game, but I kind of want to go back to his 2022 Eurobasket. Look at some of those stats, look at how he played, and I think there's some other there's some conclusions you can make from that. So in Eurobasket last year, he averaged 27.9 points per game. Shot 54% from the field, 40% from three, 90% from free throw, like 54 to 90. Okay. Uh, 6.7 rebounds per game or 8.1 rebounds per game. Excuse me. 2.4 assists per game was efficient, was a positive in basically all of his games. And Finland got to the quarterfinals before losing to Spain. Spain, one of the best teams in FIBA basketball, in international basketball. Uh, it's not a slight at all that Laurie lost to that Spain team. 
so there's a lot to like there. Um, and I think watching him in Eurobasket last year, you were able to see his transition uh, into sort of the player that he is now. And let's be clear, this isn't like a one summer, he's a completely different player. Like this has been something that's been building up for a while. But I think his performance in Eurobasket on a big stage against NBA players, like I said, like Luca's playing in that tournament. Giannis is playing in that tournament. Jokic is playing in that tournament. You're getting NBA players every single game. And he was able to play really good, was able to be an effective force, was able to lead Finland to a lot of wins. Um, And I think overall, there was just a lot to like that was able to transition into this last year. What I am most intrigued with um, is how he's going to do creating for himself. So I think sometimes in Eurobasket in and in this FIBA setting, uh, there will be times where the game is slows down a little bit. Finland likes to play fast. They like to play with a lot of ball movement, but I think there's going to be times where Laurie is asked to create for the team and to create for himself. Last year, he averaged 2.4 assists in Eurobasket and had 1.6 turnovers. That's a that's pretty close to what his assist turnover ratio was this last season for the Utah Jazz. Uh, I don't think there's anything overly impressive with his assist numbers. What is impressive and what I think there's more potential for that maybe isn't at that same level. I, I like let me let me rephrase that. The self-creation is a lot more impressive than the creation for others. And I think he's able to create more for himself in this kind of a setting. Um, so a lot of times he's able to play out of the post. And we saw him play in the post a little bit last year. And he he did fine in the post. I mean, like, just because of his size and his finishing ability, he has shown a lot of being, like, a pretty okay post player. Uh, I mean, it, it's not like we're watching prime Hakeem Olajuwon, but Laurie Markkinen, he is able to hang in the post. And so I think that's where you want to see the biggest jump from Laurie Markkinen. Not necessarily from the post, but being a self-creator. Being a guy that can create for himself, create his own shot, that isn't necessarily dependent on creation from others. I think that's the next level in Laurie Markkinen. Uh, Laurie Markkinen's evolution. And so look, all these stats are coming out. People are doing some excellent breakdowns on Laurie Markkinen from his last NBA season. Talking about how, and, and I talked about this in the Laurie Markkinen deep dive from a couple weeks ago. But, I mean, the, the guy, he is an insane off-ball player. Insanely good. And he doesn't need to take a lot of dribbles to score. It's kind of, I'd liken it to Clay Thompson. Uh, Clay Thompson's famous game, the 60 points, 11 dribbles. Like, Laurie Markkinen has a little bit of that in him. And one question people always ask is like, okay, what if Clay Thompson wasn't on the Warriors? Would he still be like an all-star level caliber player like he was in Golden State? And I think in a way you're getting some of those answers by watching current Laurie Markkinen. The difference is one of those guys is 6'6", and the other foot, the other guy is a seven-footer. So it's hard to make like some some real conclusions out of this. But man, I just I wonder like what Clay Thompson would have looked like on another team, be or in a different situation where he's maybe having to dribble more. Because uh, Clay Thompson, he's celebrated for essentially lacking a skill in dribbling and creating for himself. Like he's able to do a little bit out of the post. He's really good cutter does okay on some drives, but you don't think of clay Thompson and think of a guy that has like a bag or a guy that has the best handles in the NBA. He's a guy that is a historically great shooter, great off ball mover. Um, and plays really well within that golden state system. He's also really talented, and I think he probably would have made an all-star team been that caliber of player in a different setting. I think the same can be said for Larry Markkinen. Uh, Larry Markkinen isn't going to be known for being the guy with the ball in his hands, um, the guy that you want sizing up some perimeter player at the end of a game. I think he's going to be a guy that can score a little bit in the post, but the majority of his stuff is going to be one dribble, two dribble, cut, scoring on the perimeter, catch and shoot, 
like I, I don't think he is necessarily going to be that guy that is an elite self-creator. However, in this kind of setting where he's clearly, clearly the number one option, where he's probably one of the most talented players in this World Cup, uh, like I think if you exclude Team USA and Team Canada and Luka Doncic, he's probably the most talented player. That doesn't mean he's going to be the best player, the best FIBA player, but he's one of the most talented players. And so my question is, does Laurie Markkinen, is he going to be able to show some more self-creation? Is this an environment where he is able to sort of expand that part of his game? Um, He's able to test it out a little bit more. I think it is. I think it's an environment for him to be able to play out of the post, play out of the triple threat, um, just try to score in different ways. I think it won't only be something that like he is just trying to do. I think it might be a necessity for this Finland team, especially if they want to go to the next level. I also just, I wonder like how he's going to do in that, in that role. And I'm excited to watch it. Um, he played his first game against Lithuania, played a pretty solid game, 24 points, seven rebounds. Of course he had a nasty post poster over kind of under Jonas Valanciunas. Um, great stuff. So a couple other things just about Larry Markkinen before we move on to Jordan Clarkson in the Philippines. A couple of things that I'm trying to keep an eye on. Um, how does he do as a primary rim protector? So he's he's the tallest player on this Finland team. Uh, he's not playing at the five. He's playing a lot of minutes at the four. But there are going to be times where he's playing at the five. So I want to see how Larry Markkinen does as like a primary rim protector. Because looking at the Jazz next year, looking kind of at their future, there is something important about playing five out and that does give you a lot of options let's say walker kessler never develops a three-point shot i think that's probably the most likely outcome there are going to be situations where you're going to want to play five out can laurie markinen be a good enough primary rim protector to be able to play in some of those situations i think it's something that you'll be able to see a little bit watching team finland um being able to kind of get that answer he's an elite secondary rim protector uh some of the metrics by basketball index showed that Laurie Markkinen was basically the best secondary rim protector in the NBA this last season. And I think that's super intriguing, super promising for his long-term trajectory and where the Utah jazz lineup is currently headed. But I'm curious to see how he does as a, as a primary rim protector. Um, it's going to be fun. I'm really excited to watch Laurie Markkinen. Obviously he had an incredible breakout season after Eurobasket 2022, I'm curious to see if the FIBA World Cup in 2023 could lead to a similar breakout um, for Larry Markin in this next season. Moving on to Jordan Clarkson in the Philippines. I am excited to watch Jordan Clarkson. Look, this Philippines team, they're not the best team. I, let's let's be transparent. Uh, they are hosting, which is going to be a lot of fun. But you kind of start to look at their team. It's like, okay, they got Justin Bramley, who played a little bit of college basketball in the United States. They got Jordan Clarkson. They got Scotty Thompson. I mean, like Dwight Ramos, none of these guys are necessarily known uh, outside of Jordan Clarkson in the NBA, in the United States. The Philippines, in their country, though, they love basketball. And they're some of the most diehard fans. It's I'm personally just really excited for their country that they have the opportunity to host the World Cup. I think if it was hosted in the United States, like a lot of people might be like, oh, who gives a crap? Um, but with the Philippines, I think they're going to, they're a country that embraces basketball. They're going to embrace it. They're going to love watching guys like Larry Markkinen, like Luka Doncic, some of the team USA guys. And the guy they're probably going to love watching the most is going to be Jordan Clarkson. So some things I want to see from Jordan Clarkson, uh, let's be clear. Like Jordan Clarkson, he is 30 years old. He's 30 and I don't know if he's necessarily going to be adding a lot to his game at this point in the NBA uh, and in his career, but he does have some opportunities to try and do some different things, expand some different things that might be necessary for the Utah Jazz's roster next year. So Jordan Clarkson, while playing um, in like some qualifying games playing last year, he averaged 25 points and six and a half assists as well as five and a half rebounds for this Philippines team. He plays a lot of the point guard. 
he is the one initiating offense. He's the one scoring. Um, I think Jordan Clarkson has a unique opportunity in the FIBA World Cup. He's clearly the best player on his team. Like, I'm not saying that just because he's playing in the NBA, but it's just not a very good team. He's clearly the best player. I don't think he's going to win any games by scoring. Um, like, I don't think that's the key for the Philippines and for Jordan Clarkson to win some of these games. Historically, Jordan Clarkson isn't known as being the most efficient scorer. I think there is something to be said about Jordan Clarkson creating for others and what kind of potential he has as a creator for others. So he averaged 6.5 assists, kind of in the most recent um, FIBA play, and four turnovers, turning the ball over a lot. I, I'm curious to watch like how many of those turnovers are trying to create for others or how many of them are just trying to create for himself, like driving, trying to score, getting the ball stolen from him, you know. So those are some of the things I'm keeping an eye on. Like I said, I think the opportunity that presents itself at Jordan Clarkson right now is super unique. I think he's going to be a guy that is able to embrace that opportunity and create for others. One of our big questions is this offseason has been, okay, Jordan Clarkson, He's a score first guy. So how is he going to do when he's thrust into primary playmaking positions? And let's be clear. Like he played the point guard in college. He played the point guard while he was in LA those first couple of years, but he's slowly transitioned into a shooting guard. I think it's pretty clear that he's a score first. He's a shooting guard type of player, but you'll be able to put him in, in positions during the FIBA world cup where he's creating for others. And I want to see how he does because a lot of that, a lot of his playmaking is going to be really important for the Jazz next year. I'm really excited to watch Jordan Clarkson and Laurie Markkinen. Coming up after a little bit, of, after a little break, we're going to talk about Kelly Olynyk, Canada, and their really fun team, as well as Simone Fontecchio in Italy, and then Omar Yurtsevin in Turkey. Kelly Olynyk playing with Canada. He has experience playing with Canada. I kind of want to more talk about this Canada roster and like how Kelly Olynyk fits into it more than I want to talk about Kelly Olynyk personally. Uh, I think at this point in his career, he is who he is. I'm not expecting him to like improve a lot during FIBA basketball. I think he is who he is. What's fun to me though, is this Canada roster and people have been talking about it because you look at the first two names on it. Shea Gilgis Alexander, who just had a 30 plus point per game season a first-team All-NBA, really impressive season from the 24-year-old. And Jamal Murray, who just won a championship and was the second, sometimes first, best player on that championship team. You look at those two guys, there's some names, there's some accolades, there's a lot of winning behind those two. And I think that's what gets you excited, because looking at Team Canada, like historically, what got you excited was Andrew Wiggins. And that's kind of what you thought the future of your team was going to be. Andrew Wiggins isn't playing in the FIBA World Cup this year, unfortunately. I thought I thought that would have been a lot of fun. Like he was an all-star last year, played really good in the finals. He's a really good NBA player at this point. And I thought it would have been really fun just to have him on that team with some of the length championship experience as well as international experience that he provides. Instead, kind of looking at the rest of this roster, you have Lou Dort, Dylan Brooks, RJ Barrett. Corey Joseph, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, former Jazz man, Dwight Powell, O'Shea Brissett, Zach Eady, who plays for Purdue, uh, might be an NBA draft pick this next year, Kelly Olynyk. I think it's a really fun roster. And then you got some other Canadian pro guys, and I'll just, I'll be honest, like, I don't know who they are. Uh, I mean, like, I, I know their names, but I have never watched any of them play. So if I had to predict like what the rotation is looking like based off of what I know, I think you start Shea and Jamal really fun backcourt. And I think they are kind of complimentary players in a way. Like I think Shea's playmaking and Jamal playmate Jamal's playmaking while also both being like score first type of guards is going to create for a lot of fun. Then I would imagine this is, this is a toss up to me because I don't know if you want to start Lou Dort or Dylan Brooks. I think Lou Dort ha might have less experience than Dylan Brooks on an international stage. Or do you go RJ Barrett? Like RJ Barrett plays a lot of the three for the Knicks. Uh, they played Brunson and Grimes at the one and the two, and then play RJ Barrett at the three. 
I think the front court is pretty set, though. I think Kelly Olynyk and Dwight Powell probably are the guys in the front court just because they have the most international experience. They have NBA experience. Um, Kelly playing at the four while being a playmaker for Shea, Jamal, Dort, and whoever is else out there. And then Dwight Powell's room protection, his lob, his ability to be a lob threat, which is valuable in th- FIBA play. I think that's a pretty good starting five. Then off the bench, you got Corey Joseph, who will probably run a lot of the point. Mikhail Alexander-Walker, who will do a little bit of that. He's really good defender. Like I love that people were able to key in on the type of defender Nikhil Alexander-Walker is this last playoffs because he played really good. Then you got either like RJ Barrett, Dylan Brooks, Lou Dort, two of those three guys, O'Shea Brissett, Zach Eady. I, I doubt Zach Eady plays a lot just because, I don't know, That that's something that's going to be fun to watch because the guy's huge. Uh, I believe he's 7'4". He's really big. He was dominant in college basketball last year and the year before. And I'm curious to see like how much of that transitions into FIBA because just by being a big player, like there's going back to what I said about Walker Kessler, there's a lot to like about being a big player, being a guy that is a rim protector, offensive rebounder. I'm curious to see how much they go to him. So this is a fun team. Um, looking at these guys, looking at like their one through 11, you got NBA players. You got a really good college basketball player who won the player of the year last year. And then you got some all-stars. You got some all-star caliber players, a lot of experience. I think it, it's a really fun Team Canada roster. You kind of size them up to Team USA. And I think Team USA clearly has a better roster as far as like depth and like quality NBA players. They're a little bit deeper. But hey, all you need to win is one game. And if if Canada just goes on a little run, I would not be surprised at all. I think this is one of the most promising teams that they've fielded in international basketball, and I'm really excited to watch it. I'm ex- curious to see how Kelly Olynyk fits into it all. I think he's he's the most experienced player out of all of this, all of these young players. Um, he's played on the international stage at times. He adds a great element of playmaking that I think they'll need a lot of the time, especially in FIBA where so much of it is ball movement, playmaking, creating for others. Like I think it'll be a really good opportunity for Kelly Olynyk to showcase more of his playmaking skills. I also I I wonder like how much this means to these guys because historically, like I said, Canada has had a hard time putting together these kinds of teams, just like quality NBA teams or quality FIBA teams with NBA players. They've had NBA players in the past, the greatest of which is Steve Nash, but Canada historically hasn't accomplished anything in the Olympics, in FIBA. Like there's a lot to be desired from Canada. And I think this group probably, like I said, maybe one of the best groups they fielded ever. I'm, I'm just, I'm curious to watch and see how much they care how much it means to some of these guys. I know some of these guys are probably bigger about Canada than others as far as like how much they care, but I think it's going to be really interesting to watch. Lots of talent on this team. We'll see how they gel. Uh, Kelly Olenek, he's going to be playing basketball pretty soon, so stay tuned. Previewing Simone Fontecchio and Italy's team, uh, is it was fun. I, I So my first exposure to Simone Fontecchio was last year during Eurobasket. I believe the Jazz actually signed him during Eurobasket, and that's when people started paying attention. He was really good. Like, you look at some of the stats, he averaged 19.4 points per game. He was Italy's leading scorer, 2.7 assists per game. Um, he was able to shine in a lot of ways, and what stood out to me was the scoring. Shot 49% from the field, 45% from three. Also, some like just go back and watch some of his dunks. He looks like a completely different player because I think when you see Simone Fontecchio in an NBA setting, you're not thinking like, oh, dude, this guy is the most a- athletic guy on the court. In a FIBA setting, he was the most athletic guy on the court in a lot of those games. And I thought that was really fun to watch. Uh, this, this Italy team last year, the team that they fielded, ended up getting to the quarterfinals. And Simone, he did great as a number one option. So my questions around Simone are how can he take from his, what can he take from his FIBA experience and bring back to the NBA? I think when you think of Simone 
and you think of this guy that's just about to start his second season in the NBA, it's easy to think like, okay, this guy, he's young. There's a lot of promise. You know, he showed up in his first season at times. Uh, he showed a lot of flashes and he showed flashes in an international stage. He's a six, seven shooter. He's also 27. And at this point, like, I don't know how much better he's going to get. I do think there are things he can learn that he can apply that he can get better at through the FIBA basketball experience. My wonder, my number one thing is how does Simone Fontecchio do as a number one option and what is he going to be able to take from that and add to the NBA game? Um, a lot of times I thought watching Simone Fontecchio for the jazz this last year, he plays kind of like a number one option. Like, I think he's definitely a score first guy. He's wired to score. He knows that's his role. And that's great. He also makes a lot of smart passes that somebody who's played a lot of basketball in Europe played basketball for an international team plays or makes. Like, I think he's a better cap passer than maybe the numbers tell. And he just makes some smart reads. So that's what I want to see from Simone more than anything. Is I want to see him be able to make some of those smart reads, especially when he has the attention of the defense. Being the number one option, being pretty much the lone NBA guy on his team. I believe Nico Mannion is on that team as well. And I think he might be on a G League roster somewhere, maybe on a two-way contract with the Bucks. Not totally sure about that. But look, Simone Fontecchio, he's essentially your number one option. That's where the defense is going to be focused. So with the defense focused on him, he's going to have an extra level, an extra layer of gravity against some of these FIBA teams. Um, and look, I'm not, I'm not saying he's going to have Steph Curry level gravity, but the guy also was a 45% shooter, three point shooter in last year's Euro basket. And I wonder how much of that is translatable to this year or if he was just hot or if he'll be kind of that same player. I'm curious to watch and see, but I don't think the jury is completely out on Simone Fontecchio. Like, I don't think we are able to make a clear decision on who he is, what kind of an NBA player he is because he's been able to shine at this level so much and there are things that he can bring back from this level to the NBA to make him a better NBA player. Like I said, I think the passing is, that's one thing I want to see. The defense to me is the big holdup. Uh, that's why I'm hesitant to believe in him. Like at, at 27 year old, 27 years old, how much better of a defender are you going to become? Like one example of this that actually turned out great was Joe Ingles, who played really good in the NBL for so many years, played good on uh, the European Olympic or not European, but international and Olympic stages like Joe Ingles played great. That's how he made a name for himself. He played really good for those Barcelona teams for a long time. And then he was able to kind of crack a training camp roster in the NBA, eventually make the jazz and, the rest is history. Solid NBA career. Joe Ingles, when he first got into the NBA, one of the things that stood out was the defense. Because he was lengthy and had size, uh, you were watching his defense. I think Simone Fontecchio can have sort of a similar trajectory to that. I just think he has to be able to figure out like what else is he going to be able to add. Um, is he going to be able to be like a good enough defender? Is he going to be able to be a similar level playmaker that Joe Ingles was at? those are the things that are going to be able to keep him in the NBA. If he's not, if he's going to be sort of the one-dimensional player that we saw this last season, I think it's pretty safe to say that he probably won't be in the NBA for too much longer. Like, I th I think the big holdup with him is going to be defense playmaking. The shooting's fine. I, I believe in the shooting. Maybe the numbers aren't the greatest, but there's a lot to like about the shooting. And so... What I want to see is the playmaking, the defense. I want to see that improve. Uh, I wonder how much he'll be able to focus on the defense while being a number one option. Like, I think if you are the number one option, if you are the guy on a team, you're probably not worrying too much about defense. Uh, that's probably not your first priority because you're just trying to figure out how to score. That's where his role is on this Italy team. So I don't know if we're necessarily going to see a huge bump there, but there might be something more that we see out of the playmaking. 
Okay, uh, Omer Yurtsevin, he is also playing in friendly matches right now. I don't believe Turkey qualified for the World Cup, but I think they're still able to play in friendly matches. Just a couple things. Uh, they played their first friendly match versus Italy, Simone Fontecchio, and he had 23 points and 20 rebounds. Dominant. Uh, Turkey low-key puts together like a fun team that I think could be fun. I don't know if they'll be able to qualify for the Olympics, but... Shane Larkin, who played a couple years in the NBA. Chetty Osman, who I believe was on the Cavs. I actually don't know where he's playing now. I, f- I feel like I should know that. I'm, I'm going to look it up right now. Uh, but, uh, yeah, okay, he's on the Spurs. Um, then you got Firkin Korkmaz, who's on the Sixers. Alperin Sengun, who... Dude, he's fun. He's fun to watch. If you are able to catch any of these turkey games, keep an eye on him. Like some of the passes he makes is really fun. And he plays well next to Omer Yurtsevin. Like I think they have a low key, a, a pretty nice little two man game. And then you got Omer Yurtsevin at the five. So you got five NBA players uh, or four NBA players, one former NBA player on this turkey team. Like I would love to see them in the Olympics. And I think Omer Yurtsevin will have opportunities to shine. Just one little last note. Dude, he scored 91 points in a U18 game a couple years ago, I believe in 2016. 91 points. Just ridiculous. Lots of fun. Uh, excited to see what Omer Yurtsevin does for Turkey in some of these friendly matches. Hope we get to see more of him in international play before seeing him on the Jazz. But uh, more than likely, we'll see more Omer Yurtsevin next summer and hopefully the summer after. So just a little programming note before we end this episode of the Swish Lake City podcast. Uh, there will be no episode next week. Going to take a little bit of a break going on vacation, going to California. Should be a little, should be fun. Um, and then, and then after that, like, we're there. We're starting FIBA World Cup games. We're getting closer to training camp. I got lots of stuff prepared, lots of content coming out. It's going to be a lot of fun, guys. Uh, stay tuned. Make sure... You're following me on all my socials at Jazz Lead on Twitter. At Switch Lake City on YouTube, we passed 100 subscribers. Kind of fun. Uh, the podcast has been doing great, guys. I'm loving creating content. If you feel so inclined to support my content creation, feel free to leave a donation. Uh, there are links available on my Twitter as well as in uh, on my Spotify uh, podcast show. Anyways, I, I really appreciate the support. It's been a great couple of months. I'm really excited to see where this can go. Uh, talking jazz basketball, talking about some of these guys, talking about basketball in general, that's what I live for. I'm excited to hopefully uh, keep increasing and getting better at some of the content that I'm putting out, um, making higher quality content. I'm really excited about all of that. Anyways, I, I really do appreciate everybody for listening. Uh, Hopefully you enjoyed this episode of the Switch Lake City podcast. We'll see you in a couple of weeks.